on this edition of the program, we bring you Congress, Congress, Congress. What is happening inside the House, inside the Senate, how they're interacting with Joe Biden. Not one, but two guests, Bill Scher and Katie Stedgeferrick, Washington Monthly and The Wall Street Journal, respectively. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, and Craig. Everybody to the politics, politics, politics program for January 10th, 2024. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you in Austin, Texas for now. In fact, by the time that you are listening to this, I may well already be in the Hawkeye State, Iowa, for our first in the nation caucus. And on Friday's show, you will get the beginnings of me on the trail there and a great interview about how this race, the all important Iowa caucus has come together. However, before we head out onto the electoral battlefield, we need to understand what is happening in our current government. And so we have a jam packed episode for you featuring not only one interview with our friend Bill Share of Washington Monthly. We're going to talk a lot about some of the negotiations between the White House and Congress, as well as some unforced errors by the Biden campaign and their media strategy for 2024. But we're also going to have a debut on this show. Somebody whose work I've referred to a few times in uh, not only this program, but some of my others, a good friend and an even better reporter, Katie Stetch Ferrick of the Wall Street Journal. She now covers Congress for the journal, and she will be on the show talking about not only all the fault lines, the chaos of the beat that she covers, but also the road ahead for what Congress is going to have to do if they want to keep this government open. That is, of course, if they want to keep this government open. So let's go ahead and get started with that. Ladies and gentlemen, we begin with Katie. With the countdown to possibly another shutdown, this time in two parts, we bring in the Wall Street Journal's Katie Stetch Ferrick. Uh, Katie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. This is so fun. Uh, You've been covering Congress for how long? This is a relatively new beat for you, although you've been with the Journal for a while. Yeah, yeah. I've been with the Journal for like a dozen years, but I've only been covering Congress for like the last year or so. So still in learning mode um, and still kind of figuring out how crises come and go and how they work themselves out. Still a student of that. Well, at least uh, you got some some training wheels last year uh, when not only was there a protracted speaker ascension, there was a speaker removal. There was another speaker ascension that took plenty of time. So I, I feel like you might have packed a decade's worth of congressional experience into about 12 months. 
we did indeed. We did indeed. Uh, master of disaster skills are like <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, well, let's take a look at what Congress has facing them right now. Lay out for folks who are not plugged right. in uh, this this two pronged uh, goal posts for funding right. the government. Right, right, right. Yeah, we're in that um, weird period where there's a phrase that I say and there's a phrase that I hear said uh, periodically. It's like, rears its ugly head. It's like the phrase, like, I don't see how this happens or I don't see how this resolves or I don't see how we <laughs> get there. And, yes. you know, we always, we always get there, but like we're in that weird fun period where like we have like 10 days until like the first of two shutdown deadlines hits and we like don't even have the like real legislative vehicle. Like, we don't really have like a, Wait, so what are we doing about it? Like, there's not yes. even like a thing to be like, hey, are you voting for this? Or are you not voting for this? Like, we don't even know the uh, the approach by which one avoids um, a partial shutdown after January 19th. <laughs> so like, yes, it's a special time. Um, we do. Yeah. So the um, Congress is trying to figure out how much money to budget its federal agencies and uh, have given themselves a couple extensions. This is like the the funding level that should have started October 1st, but we're living mm-hmm. off of two extensions. And um, the first of two deadlines for federal agencies, like funding runs out next Friday night, midnight for a handful of agencies. And two weeks later, DOD and the other agencies also lose, lose funding. If we can't figure out what kind of additional extension we'll get or whether like we can, Congress can push through um an agreement on what that budget number is. And so we're kind of waiting to see. There was some momentum this, this weekend. Um, Congress, like congressional leaders, finally announced and agreed upon like the overall budget numbers um, so that like we have that top line number and it's now all the different 12 bills that sort of split up how the money goes. The um, Now the folks who are working on those different bills at least know what numbers they're working with. But yeah. we don't really know uh, how those are going to advance um, when it comes to passing those 12 individual bills. Like the House has done seven. The Senate has done three. But mm-hmm. the five that remain unpassed. And if we were to go the traditional route of passing all the little 12 bills and then reconciling towards the end. Which which um, has not happened in a while because normally a, they wind up getting rolled into a big omnibus, big omnibus. right? Exactly. Exactly. But if yeah. we were to do the traditional approach, which like, I mean, house Republicans were like, uh, especially when Johnson came in, they're like, Hey, we want to do this. We want to, uh, yeah. to cut spending. We don't want to get jammed with this big bill where we just have to sign off at Christmas. Um, we want to be able to work these individual spending bills. This approach hasn't happened in like a decade. Um, but so to go back to the five unpassed, House bills, where there are these like, you know, the five that remain unpassed have like major issues with them. There's like the DOT bill, the New York moderates are like, hey, don't cut Amtrak funding as much as you want to. And other yeah. like, conservatives are like, let's slash real grants for Amtrak. Um, there's a bunch of abortion related stuff in there. Like the DOJ bill would prevent DC from kind of implementing a law that would prevent employers from discriminating against an employee based on their gotcha. um, reproductive preferences. Like they're just to have an abortion. Be- because, because, because the federal law would have dominion over <laughs> DC. Like policy yeah. writers on them. Like these are little yeah. Christmas tree ornaments that would go through with it. And so, and there's like some real hesitation right now about among um, House Republican moderates about 
kind of agreeing to that. And we've seen um, moderates, uh, you know, when Congress, the 118th began last year, we've seen moderates, you know, it, it appears that they were sort of told, hey, kind of go along with like the more extreme side of things, the ultra conservative side of things. Like it'll be fine. You know, what ultimately passes won't be as extreme as what you want. But towards the f- end of the year, I mean, after the speaker fight, I think we really started to see moderates speak up a little bit and be like, you know, I'm not just going to go along with this. Like, I'm going to raise my hand and say I'm not super thrilled. Um, So all this like leads to kind of a scenario in which like Speaker Johnson now has, if you think of his group of Republicans that he has to govern, he has like water leaking out from multiple parts of the dam. And it's not, we, like, not only do we, like, not know what's going to happen to, like, try to keep the government open, um, like, we're also saying that phrase, I just don't see how, related to Johnson kind of staying in his job. Um, I mean, already there's just, like, questions, we're asking questions all the time, like, um, you know, is there someone that is going to be so unhappy with how he's navigating and relying on Democratic votes or passing bills on suspension, which relies on Democratic votes, um, is that going to like is someone going to raise their hand and like Matt gates it up and be like, hey, you're out and we yeah. have another speaker fight. So, well, let me ask as this, because the reality of those five bills getting negotiated and passed separately is non-existent. So either there's going to have to be another extension or there will have to be some kind of omnibus. We have already seen the House Freedom Caucus uh, be up in arms over that top line deal that came out over the weekend saying, absolutely not. This is a giveaway. This is exactly the thing that we booted Kevin McCarthy for, because by the way, it was exactly the thing that they booted Kevin McCarthy for. These numbers were almost exactly in line with the deal that he had. So, uh, and, and and just real quick for, for listeners, as of right now, I believe that Steve Scalise is is oh, doing cancer treatment oh so, my God, so the, the number is is they have one is it is it one person <laughs> majority we're at two, we're at two, two? Until johnson leaves um well you know math important we fix it yes. on it um i mean to be clear like someone can get covid and like not show up like it's you have to be here so like while it's always important to note the, the slim majority of course like someone yeah. can like miss an airplane and like the numbers all like you know whenever whenever there's a critical vote like we always look at the votes before and be like, okay, who's actually here? So of exactly. course it matters like that moment, but check yes, your Facebook, your see, see where their last post was like tonight, like house lawmakers get back and they're having like, just like their little quorum call vote to be like, all right, is everybody here before like the, sh- the show gets started tomorrow? And yeah. Um, like, so yeah, but to, to your point, yes, slim majority, it's got even slimmer on January 1st with McCarthy out. Uh, Bill Johnson is going to go be a college uh, president uh, after the 21st, or I think as of the 21st, um, Dems lose somebody the beginning of February. They lose Brian Higgins in upstate New York. Um, so the math is always, and then there's the Santos race on, um, yeah. or the, the race to replace Santos uh, in mid-February, I think it's the 13th. And uh, so like the numbers are, the numbers like, change incrementally and normally these are things we would not pay attention to. Uh, but because of this narrow majority and the ability of Johnson to lose like any large blocks of support, including House Freedom Caucus folks, I mean, on anything, um, 
it leaves Johnson with little option other than to rely on Democrats to push things forward, which is what he's done before um, yeah. on getting like these two extensions that we're at right now, or rather on the, on the one extension that he he got, like relied on Democratic votes. So, if you were just strictly looking at the the vibes of the Republican caucus on exactly what they got <laughs> from that speaker fight. Like, how would you describe, you know, uh, worth it? Even the the folks that were the most dialed in about it, do they think that it was worth it? They got a lot out of it, a little out of it, nothing out of it? I got it depends on who you ask, man. Like, I mean, there are some folks that are so upset. We're so upset on McCarthy's behalf. And so we're like, why did we do this? I mean, initially, there was some thought at the very end about, like, some satisfaction from all the conservatives with the process. Like, hey, um, I mean, Johnson, it does... appear to be more conservative than McCarthy on a couple of different positions. Um, and McCarthy just came in with, like, you know, Johnson didn't have like kind of baggage when he came in. Like he was kind sure. of unknown, you know, a Senator like had to Google him, you know, we, uh, we, 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 we joked on this show that uh, uh, Johnson now speaker Johnson was the only person in the house without five enemies. He's since gained them, <laughs> but, but uh, <laughs> at the moment he was the he only was one a- without five. There was a honeymoon period and we're always like, where was the honeymoon? I think I think it was Dusty Johnson was like, it'll be a couple of weeks before we get stabby again. Um, oh, yeah. Back then. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, but like the so I do think there was some sense that like, uh, you know, he didn't come with a Kevin McCarthy, like to the extent that Kevin McCarthy did make private promises to folks and just say yes to everybody. And then all of a sudden one day it was like, you know, people said, hey, you, you didn't fulfill that promise to me. Um, and that, you know, led to his ousting. Johnson doesn't have the same baggage. Of course, we do see the incentive to not oust him because there is a huge question of like, well, who would have, who would replace him? Who else would we get? Yeah. Um, like who, I mean, we, there were so many rounds where folks raised their hand for a speaker. There were so many nominations, so many different people that raised their hands. So many, a bunch of people who didn't raise their hand, cause they also recognized, you know, if they're trying to be smart politically, like Elise Stefanik or someone else, like. Mm-hmm. People who didn't raise their hand because they're like, well, they want they aspire to GOP leadership, but like now is not the time. Um, no. Who would replace them? Who would replace him? So I think there's a kind of like a natural incentive not to go through that process again. Uh, and we are just going to have to see, you know, how long, how long he can sort of really uncomfortably navigate all these forces. So this moment felt like a bit of a tipping point where the the deal comes back and it's the same McCarthy numbers that some of the so some some of the the quotes that were coming out of the House Freedom Caucus were more vociferous than they had been before. This was yeah yeah the the, the, really, the, the, the anger had been had been totally uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like Chip Roy is asked every like three hours on the hour, like, are you gonna oust Johnson? Like now, now? How about now? Um, and. So you can kind of like read into, I mean, listen, like we don't see like a motion to vacate like today, um, no. you know, but of course we see growing discontent, the discontent we anticipated, like from the moment that Johnson stepped into the position, we see it, we see it growing and who knows what that moment will be that where there's a pivot and we find ourselves in like another place of Republicans kind of killing their leader, just like as they tend to do. You know, that was the thing that I think really, really defined last year was just the lack of the institutional 
leadership with Pelosi gone from the leadership on the Democrats, the Republicans, obviously Kevin McCarthy was not going to be able to fill in for any kind of unifying role, even if he tried to make as many deals as he could to, to get the job in and of itself. But both with the speaker fight and the Democrats voting against McCarthy and, of course, the the, the Matt Gates led revolution uh, uh, to to trigger the motion to vacate to begin with. It just felt like there was nobody. Uh, There's nobody, no adult in the room that was going to walk in and say, all right, knock it off. Everybody yell and scream on cable, but we need to get our job done. Is there anything yeah. close to that emerging from somebody that is looking at this every single day? My God, no, I don't think there's any good approach. What is it? Winning is easy. Governing is harder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> phrase. Like, and like, also, I think everyone's realizing like, it's so much easier to be in the minority. <laughs> like when you're just yes. like, like this unified, like, you know, less paid attention to group. Um, I mean, e- easy to do that. Um, no, I don't think that there is any sort of unifying figure. I don't think there's anybody that everyone can look to. It's like, oh, if only that person was in charge. This is like a really divergent group of Republicans. There are so many different ways and demand, like, you know, policy priorities, um, you know, just, I mean, look at the look at the voters, look at the divergent interests in the different ways that people who identify themselves as Republicans, like all the different hats that they can wear. So, you know, yeah. they send who represents them and that gives you a really broad spectrum of humans here that have different interests in, um, in trying to represent their people. So I guess it is a sign of the times that there's nobody at the oh, center yeah. that can that can wrangle all of these tribes. All of these tribes oh, are sure. going to be more and more emboldened to fight for their core constituencies. And that's it. If any, right. if someone's mad, good. It means it's yeah, working. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. I mean, of course, there are personalities that are operating, you know, distant to their voters. But like, yeah, these are these are, these are a reflection of like who's out there. Like, yeah. Um, and they all come here and then they all get in the room. I mean, there were so many during the speaker fight. There were so many late night like dinners and I think we call them struggle sessions or people were calling them struggle <laughs> sessions where like, uh, you know, it was like kind of like a isn't a millennial approach. Like the idea of like, let's just all get in a room and talk together and like, sure. work it yeah. out. And like feelings were raw. There were times when, um, you know, we all thought we'd be working through the weekend, that they'd be like working through the weekend to try to find somebody. And like they sent everyone home because tensions were just so high. I, I mean, yeah. And then sometimes like you'd like like us, like one of these struggle sessions would break and like people would come out like, you know, of these dinner rooms and or, like the big room where they serve dinner or pizza or barbecue, whatever it was. There were some people that were just like, oh, that was a waste of my time. Like, you know, yeah. I got nowhere with that. And And there were other people that were like, gosh, that was really helpful. I really enjoyed listening to the thoughtfulness of this person. And I, you know, really appreciate that we're all trying to come together and get to like, so like you can't even have like one unstructured meeting with this group. And like everyone comes out saying like agreeing on like the level of usefulness of the meeting and whether it's what the (laughs) moment needed. So it's just, it's just hard. It's just really hard. So. Well, uh, uh, amongst that power base of unity comes not one, but two impeachments, uh, one that has already been initiated into President Biden, another that is in the offing this week against Alejandro Mayorkas. What are what are the statuses of those? Let's start with the Biden one and then we'll get to the Mayorkas one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mayorkas is seen as like kind of like the easier, more basic um, uh, issue to move forward on. And so I think that's why. They're going. The border has like become an issue where I mean, we've seen, I feel like a year ago, 
there wasn't this consensus that something needed to be done on the border. Like the numbers yeah. just weren't uh, attracting. They, we didn't see the presence of migrants in cities that we're seeing now. And definitely over the last couple of months, we've heard a lot more concern from from Democrats, of course, and, and you know from everybody. There's just more consensus that something needs to yeah. be done. And so Mayorkas, who, like, to be clear, was like on thin ice from the moment that Biden became president and like, I think was always kind of like a target um, just by nature of his position um, is now, you know, facing scrutiny and uh, kind of some of the first some like we're expecting first steps on that later this week um, with the hearing. And who knows what will happen after that? Yeah, I think it's 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 a combination of the cities getting. Uh, uh, touched by it, the New Yorks and the Bostons yeah. and the Chicago's DC, of course. Uh, and then also just how telegenic some of the stuff, like when you see a bunch of Chinese dudes in like polos with roller uh, 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 bags, like they're going to the airport, you're like, all right, something's different. This is not, yeah. this is not the, the, the traditional, I'm fleeing a death squad in my in my local country. This is something else is going on here that needs to be understood. Right, right, right. So that's there's a clear sense of that. And that's why I mean, separately, we have these negotiations in the Senate on on that. Talk about things that like we just don't know what's happening with back in the I just don't see how category. Um, But yeah, that's another separate issue. That'll be after we figure out how to not shut down the country twice uh when when we're seemingly right. unable to do it once uh, uh but, but but let's but, let's get to the yeah yeah go ahead sorry to your, to your point on the but to your point on the biden impeachment too i mean this was something that johnson promised to move forward on but there is also a sense like how do you fit all this in what, what role does that play in when there's all these other demands that you're talking about, like how much time and energy do you dedicate to a Biden impeachment um, and to the investigation there when there's lots of other issues? And so that's something that we talk about a lot here. Well, the one thing that is going to be for sure about it is that it's going to be loud. Obviously, you can't quietly attempt to impeach the president, but it's even more so when a key figure in this, Hunter Biden, who obviously is the linchpin of all of it, seems to be going on offense, uh, uh, deciding to come to the Capitol Hill, but not testify behind the scenes right. to instead give Showing a press conference yeah, yeah. outside yeah, yeah. In, in the parking lot. <laughs> I walked into the Senate press gallery and like one of the press gallery people were like, you know, Hunter Biden's outside. And I was like, I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. Like, the the you know, Hunter sort of Biden ran out. Yeah. Like that guy. OK. Yeah. He just like ran outside. Like the space was it was the space was reserved already by um, by another lawmaker. And that was like part of the whole it, it was it was a weird day. It's weird. I mean. Every day is a weird day here. I mean, I, I feel like you're only going to have more and more weird days going forward. Uh, and yeah. part of that, uh, and this is where we can we can begin to wrap things up, is the fact that this is an election year. Obviously, in the House, that happens very often. You're never really too far away from from election day, but you've got a lot of people that are not seeking, uh, not oh, seeking the their seats this. again. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 how how, how is election day yeah. settled in so far? Yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, we always have House elections, but I mean, the suspense with which we are watching this race, I mean, given the tight margins and given just how competitive things are and given the exodus and also just given like the fact that we don't know how the presidential race will affect like down ballot stuff, like, Mm -hmm. you know, with Biden's popularity and Trump's popularity, like we still don't know. Um, 
I was talking to David Wasserman at um, the Cook Report, and he has said that we are in a moment where this is one of the most suspenseful house races already for him. Like he just doesn't know what's going to happen um, to like what's going to happen. And it's going to be yeah. like every race matters. And we're looking at things that we like typically never looked at to see like, to, like looking at redistricting fights. Like can a judge yeah. make a ruling in time to like steer one or two seats? Like you never had to look, look at redistricting to be like, Hey, what's going to happen this fall? I mean, everything Everything matters. Um, I mean, to your broader point of what is what does it do for legislation and like progress? I mean, we a great example of that is like the border negotiations that are happening right now. I mean, nobody wants to take a tough a tough vote. Um, you know, of course, on one hand, you could like you know the optimist would be like, oh well, doesn't everyone want to like resolve the border crisis and like go home and be like, hey guys, look what we fixed and like everyone yeah. like that's not how this works uh, typically. I mean, prove me wrong, but like. Like, you know, it, no one wants to take a hard vote. You don't want to give Biden a win right now. Like, if you're a Republican, no one wants to give Biden a win. Um, and I just, you know, given the number of times, the last time we had, like, major immigration reform, like, 80, like late 80s, mid 80s. Yeah. I mean, it, it bits, bits and pieces, you know, here and there. But we've had, like, really high profile examples of, like, really well-intentioned negotiations totally fail. And... To think that we are now in an election year and, you know, uh, senators have said the last day or since they've gotten back that they're open to seeing what these Senate negotiators are coming up with in terms of new rules. You know, they're all going to read it. Yeah. There's just oh, so many indications that it's dead on arrival in the House because it's not going to be as extreme as what they want. House progressives are like, um, guys, like they feel really left out in the process and yep. they are have no appetite for well, not they don't have any appetite. They, you know, they've always been open for business on changing laws and having smart immigration reform. Um, this isn't how a lot of these elements is not how they would have seen it. They would prefer to see it. So, I mean, there's just so many indications that, like, we just don't have in any environment. We don't have the appetite to reform the immigration system and certainly not now. So and and this was all began because the White House believed that immigration could be a sweetener. That, 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 that would be it would it would make Ukraine funding uh, uh, that would be the spoonful of sugar that would help the medicine go down because the House Republicans don't want Ukraine aid or at least the level <laughs> yeah. of Ukraine aid that the White House wants. And now they found, oh, wait, it turns out immigration may be the hardest of these to move forward on because the Democrats are also super upset about it, including yeah. in the Senate and the House. Totally, totally. We saw this earlier this year, earlier last year when. Um, Ukraine for su- support for Ukraine started to like really kind of drop off. And there was this idea like, well, what if we combine it with Israel aid? What if we combine it with like Taiwan yes. aid? Like what if we like, what if we make it a big old thing? And then like, <laughs> it has something for everybody. I can totally see like back in, back when like we didn't know what was going to happen with support. Like I can see that mentality. It made sense. Yeah. Like at the time, at the time somebody was floating that idea to us and I was like, oh, exactly. yeah, they throw a couple more things in there and like maybe it will Everyone will find the thing that they like and it will pass. And like, yeah, practically we're seeing that there are some challenges to that approach. Well, and that's that's the yeah, I, I believe in in one of the newsletters, the morning newsletters uh, uh, this morning, it was a, a quote from, I think, Senator Murphy saying like, oh, well, who would have thought that that, uh, you know, that this is the best place to negotiate immigration reform. And it's like. The White House, the White House thought that's, I mean, this is the, it, it's, it was three, four months ago that, that, that was the, it's like, oh, we'll just slip in a little bit of border stuff. We'll throw a little bit of aid for the, for, for the blue cities. 
Ding, ding, ding. ding. Sprinkle, like, sprinkle, sprinkle. For everybody. Something there we for go. And, and Zelensky gets a check. Uh, uh, no, it was, it, it turns out it is, it is going to be a fight yeah. like everything in Congress, but we are lucky that we have people like Katie Stetch Ferrick there covering it. Uh, you can read her work in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, where else can people follow you? Uh, the Wall Street Journal. That's where? it? You don't have any socials? Uh, I need to tweet more. You no, you don't. <laughs> you don't. No, that's a good answer. That's a smart answer. I've 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 never been more uh, excited that you have cut any and all social media uh, activity oh, out of your life. You have enough on I, your no, plate. No, no, no. To be clear, and and to be clear, I, I've monitored the social media. Um, I it's it's not the Wall Street Journal is the best place to pay for and read my work. <laughs> there we go. Exactly, and that's what you should do. Head on over to the journal now. Katie, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Justin. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Folks, I'm paying the bills now. <laughs> because credit cards ask you to pay him back after you put some uh, charge on him. And I got to tell you, this is the time that you want to support politics, politics, politics. You want to head over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and you want to make sure that you get the bonus episodes of this program because we're, we're in the thick of it now. So personally, I want you to do it because I need the money because uh, it turns out paying your own way on the campaign trail is something that is hard you know it's costly there's a reason why i'm the only person dumb enough to do it but also because this is when you get the most value let me lay out the the schedule of of events here for you guys we've got if you are already a patron then you already got the bonus episode our sunday 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 edition on monday you're listening to this free episode right now on wednesday the Normally Thursday episode that's uh, a patron only that will instead be a Wednesday night debate recap because Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are going to make their final appeal in debate against each other. So I will give you my uh, my my thoughts on that. And that'll be my only reference to that debate. The last words that they're going to have to say on television The only place that I'm going to be able to give you that feedback is on the bonus episode on Patreon. Then we head out to Iowa. We have a Friday episode where I will have the beginnings of me being on the trail, but I have no guarantee that I'm going to see everybody by the time that I need to get that episode out by Friday night. And then the totality of all of my reporting in Iowa is going to go out on the Patreon. So if you want to hear... All that on the ground stuff, my my final predictions on where I think things are going to go. And I got to say, <laughs> I can smell the vibes. I'm a CIA level vibe sommelier. I kind of I, I, I feel like I've got a good sense of where things are going when it comes to being on the ground in the later stages. All right. I called Glenn Youngkin winning when I covered that. That was an upset. I said Pete was going to win in Iowa. 
According to some apps, I might have been right for a little bit, (laughs) but he declared victory. So at the very least, I was right there. You're going to want it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Three bucks a week, especially now. It's if you like the show, it's well worth it. Head on over there. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. But let's get to some of the news that we didn't get a chance to cover on this congressional heavy episode. We have fourth quarter fundraising numbers. And some of them are pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pennsylvania Republican Senate contender Dave McCormick. He's got a big, big, big uh, fight against Bob Casey. He raised $5.4 million last quarter. He added a million of his own money. He's rich, so good for him. Nevada GOP Senate hopeful Sam Brown raised $1.85 million. That's another huge, huge battleground. In just six weeks, New Jersey First Lady and Senate contender Tammy Murphy raised $3.2 million. A reminder, she is going after Bob Menendez. And Iowa Democratic House challenger Christine Bonahan pulled in $650,000. Uh, more of those numbers are coming in. We will have the money man Dave Leventhal on to sort out whether or not this is a bumper crop uh, compared to years past. But there we go. You got some numbers. Let's switch to the courtroom. Donald Trump's legal team with Trump in the room arguing about his ability to declare himself immune from charges as president. However, we do now have a date that the Supreme Court will hear another case for Trump. The Supreme Court will hear uh, the case over the Supreme uh, Court of Colorado disqualifying Trump from the state's ballot due to his involvement in the January 6, 2021 attack on Congress that will be scheduled to uh, hear arguments on February 8th. Of course, all of this revolves around interpreting a provision in the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which prohibits individuals who have participated in an insurrection from holding office. The Supreme Court's involvement in this matter marks a direct engagement in the current presidential election. No Supreme Court scholar that I have read believes this is going to be anything other than a ruling in favor of Trump staying on the ballot. The only question is whether or not it is going to be a unanimous majority. But we at least know now that they are going to hear the case and they're going to begin hearing it on February 8th, obviously tremendous precedent will be set by this ruling as no one has ever adjudicated the 14th amendment in the way that we are about to get it. So regardless of how you think about that case, it is going to be a very interesting legal precedent. Legal scholars unite. And we finally have some polls. We had not had any New Hampshire, any Iowa polls since December. And they finally came in today. So let's go ahead and read them. First, Iowa, morning consult. Donald Trump, unsurprisingly, booming, baby. 58%. That is a 43% lead on his nearest competitor. But who is that nearest competitor? Oh, Nikki Haley at 15%. Ron DeSantis at 14%. Not exactly a big lead, but Ron DeSantis not being in second in Iowa is massive. 
massive. He has spent a ton of money. He has done the full Grassley. He has gone to all 99 counties, and yet he finds himself in second place. Filling out the rest of the dance card, Vivek Ramaswamy, 10%. Chris Christie, 2%. Asa Hutchinson, the ghost candidate, at 1%. We have said before, Nikki Haley has to pull the savage. 21, 21. If she wants to make this any kind of contest, right? She's got to come second in Iowa, first in New Hampshire, second in Nevada, first in South Carolina. That's it. That's her path. 21, 21. Let's swing to New Hampshire. So we got good news and bad news for Haley. Let's do the bad news first. This is a Boston Globe, Suffolk University, USA Today poll. Shows her stalled, stuck in the mud. Maybe the snow now that it's New Hampshire. Donald Trump at 46%. He's up 20 Haley in second, solid second at uh, 26%. And Chris Christie at 12, Ron DeSantis at eight, Ramaswamy at two. But let's get to the good news for her. University of New Hampshire Survey Center. They have it a lot closer. Donald Trump at 39, Nikki Haley at 32. Chris Christie at 12, Ramaswamy at 8, DeSantis at 5, Hutchinson at 0. That not only puts Nikki Haley in single digits, it's what she wanted to see, but also puts her within beating Trump if Chris Christie either drops out or his voters begin to believe that there is a better path to beat Trump. And if what they want to do is beat Trump, then they will bail on Christie for Haley. I still believe there's going to be a lot of pressure on Christie to drop out coming out of Iowa. I don't think it's now. I think it's coming out of Iowa and we will see what happens. Keep an eye on DeSantis though. I don't think he's making it out of the cornfields. If he's at 5%, almost all of his support goes to Donald Trump. So we're going to keep an eye on those. There will be a lot more where they came from after Iowa is done. But before we leave the Granite State, What do you say we take a look at the Democratic side? A reminder that the New Hampshire Democratic Party, in defiance of the National Democratic Party's edict, will be holding a primary. So, according to that Boston Globe poll, Joe Biden has 64% support. Dean Phillips has 6% support. Marion Williams has 2% uh, support. Doesn't look great. For Mr. Phillips, I very much expect to see him when we are in New Hampshire. I want to feel the Dean. But right now, not so good. A reminder that Joe Biden's ballot or name will not be on the ballot. It will be incumbent on anybody who goes to vote in that primary to write him in. So support really doesn't mean all that much, considering it's not going to be a high turnout election and Joe Biden's name cannot be on the ballot since this is a renegade renegade outlaw mud show primary as far as the National Democratic Party is concerned. But all this stuff, when it actually plays out, when we are actually going to see these candidates, it's just the way that the calendar falls. A lot of that stuff is going to go on the Patreon. A lot of it is. And so if you want to have my lens on these races 
as they wrap up at their most crucial moments, the one place you need to go is takepoliticsseriously.com because that's just where we do it. That's where you get the bonus episodes, three bucks a week for the price of a cup of coffee. You can get two bonus episodes and this time of year, oh my word, is it worth it? What a value. Takepoliticsseriously.com. Congress is back in session. Deals are being negotiated and there is plenty to talk about on the White House side. So we got to bring in our friend, Bill Scher. Welcome back to the show, buddy. Always a pleasure. All right. So let's 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 actually start on the White House side before we get into any of the uh, the, the, the the negotiations that are happening. Uh, we had a very curious unfolding of events over the weekend with Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, who it was revealed in a I believe a Friday news dump had been hospitalized. It continues to develop throughout the weekend that not only was he still hospitalized, we don't know why or what the initial surgery was that put him in the hospital. And there was a lack of communication, not only further up his chain of command with the white house, but also below with the uh, uh, woman who assumed his responsibilities. Uh, Where, where does this rank? Can you, you, you're, you're another uh, historian with this kind of stuff. Have you ever heard of anything similar to this? Like what, what, what rings a bell when, when it comes to a story? Well, there are examples of presidents not being forthright with the public about their, their incapacitation, but, uh, I'm not as aware of it with underlings. I yeah. mean, there might be other examples, but just never got a whole lot of yeah. you know attention because it's they're they're kind of sideshows. And I think this is going to be a sideshow at the end of the day. It's not the thing we're going to be talking about, you know, on October 31st, 2024. But Biden no. is trying. No. Sorry, uh, but Biden is trying to kick off the general election campaign season with. These two set speeches where he's elevating the importance of democracy being on the ballot. And here's an unforced error gumming up the works, crowding out, you know, finite news space that's dulling the message. I'm not saying it means like Biden's going to lose, but it's not what he really wants to have happen this week when he kind of geared up for a big event. I think the, the bigger story here is that we know about it. Because that's that's the 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 thing that seems odd to me is that uh, uh, sure, look, have secretaries of state, secretaries of defense uh, been a wall at certain times for various different reasons. Washington, D.C. is certainly not a town that is immune for uh, uh, somebody having a routine checkup that might actually mean a facelift or something like that. Uh, uh, Things like that do happen. Uh, However, the fact that we know about it and and this is me reporter wise kind of reading between the tea leaves when you're getting that much detail out of the pentagon that means the pentagon was annoyed about it that means people in the pentagon were really annoyed about it and the fact that we we didn't immediately see a circling around from the administration saying no 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 we were we were aware about this that and the other this is less of a thing than you would think also means that they weren't aware of it and well i, I don't well, know I, I it, think it just Biden, seemed I think the, like uh, of well i think the primary Go goal ahead. of the white house was to insulate the president to make absolutely clear 
the second the story yes. went public, Biden did not know. He was not part of this cover up in any way. Yes. And there's been no deviation of that. Every party yeah. has. I mean, I'm not I'm not just suggesting no. they're lying, but uh, there there's if there's one aspect of the story that's, that's had coordinated, clear communication is that Biden did not know. And no one is questioning that. Yeah. Yes. Uh. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, at its worst, to me, it seems indicative of an administration that is either not on the same page or more used to, you know, either lying, I guess, either white lying <laughs> or uh, scared of other people taking their jobs. I mean, like that's 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 the the only thing that something like this says says to me. And the fact that it gets out means that there's a lack of discipline. Well, I I don't know all the details yet. And, you know, none of us do. I wonder if there was a part of this that is unusual because more and more of us are doing work uh, while we are uh, doing other things on vacation, feeling sick in the hospital. Uh, we we're so interconnected. We think ah, I, I I can get by. I, I I can I can play through this. No one needs to know because I'm still uh, I'm, yeah. I'm still doing my, my basic things. And then this particular elective procedure went awry and it got and it, and, it, and it went off the rails. And so he had a cop to the fact that he wasn't on top of things. Yeah, but but based on the reporting, he had the procedure, went back home, then felt bad and went back to the hospital. You would think that at the moment that you go back to the hospital, that's when you start phoning people around. I, I, I don't know. Look, I, I am not a military man, but from everything I've heard, chain of command's kind of a big deal over there. Well, right. But he, from the, the beginning of the process, when he first had the surgery, his MO was, I'm not going to tell anybody. <laughs> Like that's where his headspace was. And so he yes. tried so he clearly tried to yeah. keep that going for as long as he possibly could. And he took it to I mean, probably should have said something in the first place, but clearly took it too far. All right. Uh uh let's 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 switch to the stuff that this story was crowding out. You've seen Joe Biden uh do some more events, uh try to anchor his speech. Obviously, there's been a lot of dialogue, a story that in, included commentary by former President Barack Obama saying that he was afraid of the trajectory of the Biden 24 campaign. And then on the Sunday shows this week, the spokesperson for Biden 24 saying that this is going to be all gearing toward the state of the union that'll happen in two months. Is is two months too far away for him to reframe his argument or uh, are we being prisoner of the moment because Iowa is starting now? And so the clock has officially, officially, officially begun on 2024. Well, I, I would say the opposite. Here's Biden starting a general election framing before the first vote has been cast in the primary season. Uh, everyone's expecting it to be a Trump Biden mm -hmm. rematch and Biden's not waiting around for it to be formally declared. He, he's 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 already getting it going. Uh, and uh, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's a bad strategy. Uh, one of the reasons why I think Biden's numbers are a little uh, are flat vis-a-vis -vis Trump is that a lot of the focus has been on Biden and not so much on a lot of the crazier and crazier things Trump has been saying. And here is Biden's way of saying, and apparently this has been happening, you know, behind the scenes. There was an article in Semaphore saying that Biden's been meeting with journalists and trying to work the refs a little bit and say, hey, mm -hmm. 
Why, why aren't you talking? Trump said these things, which are like truly bonkers. Why aren't you in this the same equivalent amount of attention? Uh, and I, I, and I think we would get to that point anyway, because once it is a general election campaign, once there are two clear nominees, then the media emphasis does start to shift. Uh, so, so far in the past couple of months, it's been, it's been Israeli Gaza. It's been Biden's numbers. It's been. Why aren't people taking giving him credit for the economy? It's all the it's all the glass half empty side of the Biden situation, and a lot less about what Trump has been saying uh, in terms of being a quasi authoritarian. And then, and I do think that that's going to shift organically. Biden's trying to accelerate that process. Do you think that this is a framing issue? Because I, I kind of feel like Biden's. That th- th- this is this is not an issue if, if you're trying to work the refs and say Donald Trump has said crazy stuff. Uh, uh, I agree. He has said crazy stuff, but I kind of feel like that's priced in. And a lot of the other stuff that's been out there is more newsworthy. The 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 the, the record and, and people's feelings on the economy are more newsworthy than what Donald Trump is saying on Truth Social. I don't think it's fully priced in. I, I, I think you, what you articulated there, I'm sure, plays on reporters and editors' minds either consciously or subconsciously. This this doesn't feel new to me that Trump is acting like a dictator, and so I'm not going to give it page A1 treatment. Uh, but in the in the real clear politics polling average over the over, over the entirety of 2023. Yeah, we've had five. We've had five lead changes between Trump and Biden. That's actually pretty unusual uh, for a general election trial heat period. Uh, And sure, for a lot of us, for most of us, this is priced in. Our minds are made up. There isn't a massive swing vote out there, but there is some swing vote out there. And the swing vote between I'm choosing between Trump or Biden, there's swing vote between I'm mm-hmm. choosing between Trump or staying home or Biden or staying home or or, or flirting with third party uh, candidates. Um, there is movement out there. And that movement is affected by what is taking dominance precedence in media coverage. So it, there is value in Biden trying as much as he can. To, and this is what and Obama should know this, too, because people were talking trash about Obama's prospects for a period of time early on. How he how the the shine was off and he had to worry about youth turnout and black turnout, all that stuff. All that was happening, too. And that campaign said, we, this can't be a referendum. This has to be a choice. This cannot be a referendum on the incumbent. This is a choice between me and the other guy. And here's Biden following that playbook and saying, yeah. but uh, no one's perfect. I No one gets an A-plus when you're president of the United States, but it's between me and this whack job over here. But let me ask you this, because we, coming out of 2016, especially in the journalism world, had this... A, a gigantic reckoning of, oh, well, we covered him too much. We let him uh, totally define the news cycle. Donald Trump said something crazy and we rushed over with cameras. We made him the center of attention. We made sure that he uh, was was the end all and be all of the the political news calendar. And that was detrimental That was empowering to Donald Trump. Now the strategy from the Biden White House is, no, can we get more of that? (laughs) Well, people, you know, on the left, broadly speaking, uh, those who are 
uh, highly online and highly sensitive, highly prone to media criticism. They tend to jump at whatever is the criticism du jour. So it's either you're covering him too much, you're not covering him enough. You're giving him free airtime. Oh, you overlooked this crazy thing that he said. Like, there's no yeah. winning. Uh, and look, we Trump's been on the political scene now since 2011 when he was pushing the birther conspiracy uh, on yeah. Barack Obama. You know, we're, we're way past the argument, are we normalizing him or not? He is the dominant figure in the Republican Party. He is most likely the Republican presidential nominee. Uh, he has, you know, just based on current polling, a 50-50 shot at minimum of becoming president of the United States. You should cover what he is saying. Mm -hmm. He deserves just as much coverage as any other presidential frontrunner should get, I which mean, is a lot. I guess, have we not? Like, I guess what, what is more, what is, what is more of the coverage? I mean, and maybe I'm, I'm on, on the leading edge cause I follow it, but I kind of feel like I know every time that he says something wacky, I, I don't feel like I, I am, I am lacking well, for it. I, I'm, I'm not super critical of the amount of coverage he has got up to this point. I mean, and, and I also think that the media does a pretty good job of just not just being transcribers, but putting it in context and fact checking in real time. Uh, there's lots of coverage about, Trump saying something that want to be a dictator for a day. I've heard a lot of coverage most recently about we could have negotiated the Civil War. Uh, and I'm just hearing coverage this morning about how he said, uh, I hope that there's a Great Depression on Biden's watch and not on my watch. Like it gets coverage. It's not I mean, we know about it because it gets covered. Uh, yeah. And I'm not saying they're the media is bad because yes. they gave uh, a hot war in Israel, Gaza, more attention that that, that that was the number one story. And the Trump crazy thing was the number two or number three story. Like, that's fair. Uh, but uh, yeah. it is. As we get close to Election Day, I do think that ratio is going to even out. And I think it's understandable that from Biden's perspective, he wants to accelerate the process of it evening out because he thinks there are things that Trump is saying that yes. they're going to redound to his benefit. Uh, and so I mean, every politician tries to do things to shape media coverage. That's legit. Uh, now, the media doesn't have to just like yes. salute, but, yes. uh, but, but good candidates do things that influence media coverage to their benefit. And that's all Biden is trying to do right now. Yeah. All right. Well, let's leave the West Wing and head to Capitol Hill. Uh, both the Senate and the House today will be back in their chambers and they've got a lot on their plate a deadline that is bearing down on the house to try to keep the government open but let's focus on the foreign aid uh late last year the decision was made to tie aid for ukraine which has become less popular to aid to israel and taiwan and immigration Immigration border, was border the security. the new way that at least at the point border security, the border security was uh, uh, used as what was thought to be a sweetener for Republicans in the House to get this aid package through. It has become its own Gordian knot. Uh, where, where, where do you uh, where, where, where do you view this share? What, what are what are the uh, what, 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 what are the dimensions of this particular debate? Well, I'm. I'm slightly optimistic they're going to land this plane. They're going to get to a deal. 
Okay. Uh, obviously, people working very hard to get to that deal. Um, it might seem uh, uh, irrelevant to connect foreign aid to border security. Um, but I do think there is political logic to it. Uh, you see on the mm-hmm. America first side of the of, of the argument, uh, we shouldn't give one dime to Ukraine until we take care of our own border. And so that Help might America. really, uh, yeah, right. That, that might rub you the wrong way if you're not on the, if you're an America firster and you know that this is coming from a lot of bigoted anti-immigrant set- sentiment. Uh, but if you can link those two things, you are debunking the America first frame. You are saying, you know what? We actually can do both things. We actually can uh, make sure that Putin doesn't steamroll Europe and make sure we are managing the flow of migration on our border. Uh, so I think there's a, a layer on top of that, uh, that some of Biden's worst numbers are on his handling of the border and immigration. I think he has a lot mm-hmm. of incentive to do this deal. And then you might say, well, why do Republicans have incentive to do this deal? Don't they want to use immigration as a political weapon uh, uh, for taking out Biden. And this is where the America first framing uh, may backfire on them because while Trump and others don't want Ukraine aid, this is a divided Republican party in terms of foreign policy. And there are a whole lot of Republicans that do want Ukraine aid, particularly in the Senate. And so they're taking the, America first framing and turning it on its head and saying, if that's what you want, fine, we'll actually do it. Uh, and so if we actually do get this deal done in the Senate, which is the which is the lowest hanging fruit, relatively speaking, obviously the harder yep. job is getting it through the House, which is more Ukraine skeptical and more nativist and more Trump friendly. Uh, but I do think there's going to be just a massive amount of pressure. Uh, from the national security minded Republicans, the the anti Putin Republicans on Speaker Mike Johnson to say this is the best we're going to get on the border. Biden's made a whole lot of concessions here uh, and we just cannot have. So we're, we're on board. This is this is being sold to the public as a bipartisan deal. If this gets tanked, it's on you. You will take personal responsibility for abandoning Ukraine and letting Putin uh, run roughshod over Europe. Is that what you want your legacy to be? I think that's a lot to shoulder. And so far, Mike Johnson has been cooperative on these other aspects of keeping the government open, where he, he's sort of he sort of moved away yeah. from his past record and say, OK, I, I know I got to be the responsible adult here and keep the government open. So I think he's open to that kind of uh, influence and pressure. Uh, so again, I can't tell you, I know it's going to work out this way that, because it all kind of rests on what's going on inside of Mike Johnson's mind, which I, and I can't be a mind reader, but that's, that's where I, that, I see that path. The news today from some of the, uh, the, the, the reporters on the Hill is that this deal has hit a snag specifically in terms of the Republicans in the Senate, as you mentioned, the lowest hanging fruit, because they want to push for more restrictions on Biden's executive discretion when it comes to allowing certain kinds of migrants in during health crises or uh, anything else. This has been the red line 
with Biden's allies, Democrats in the Senate, who are very wary about any kind of immigration deal that they do not have their hands on. Do you think that this deal can happen without Biden pressing those progressive Democrats in the Senate? I mean, this is this is a hard deal. It's going to get attacked from left and right once it's assuming once it's done. Uh, Biden had already been trying to carve out a middle path on on, on the border. Uh, it's, quite frankly, it's re- reminiscent of you know Dick Morris's triangulation from the from the Clinton era, uh, where by executive order mm-hmm. Biden was saying. So I mean, let, let me just let me just sort of back up here. Uh, like this is a genuine crisis. This is genuinely unprecedented, the amount of uh, migrant influx that, that's come in over the past couple of years. You know, when, you know, back in 2018, when Trump was talking about, oh, my gosh, the caravan's coming. That was like like 50 people. Like that, that was there's, there's a lot of hysteria on the border that's often not tethered to facts. This is an actual giant influx uh, and it's putting actual strain on municipal yeah. services. What, and there, there's so many. I'm sorry to go on for a long time. There, there's so many layers. So it's such a complicated issue, which is why it's so politically difficult. No, go, go, go. Uh, we actually have a tight yeah. labor market right now. There are a lot of employers that would love to have more migrants do work. Uh, so it's not like we can't handle more people. I heard Lindsey Graham say the other day, we're full. We're not full. We're, there's not a finite amount of America, uh, a finite amount of American economy. You know, people can come, people can fill jobs, people can grow the economy. You, you actually, and you, if you didn't have that growth, you'd be shrinking and you'd be a, you'd be a dying country and you wouldn't actually like living in that country. Uh, so we can't handle it. The trick is when they first come in, you just show up. And you need a bed and the bed isn't immediately there for you. That puts real strain on municipal governments. That it's, it's the initial intake that's the problem right now. And it's a real problem. Uh, so Biden has been trying to make it more orderly, orderly by saying, OK, uh, you can't. There's, there's a thing called asylum, which is there's international law and domestic law. If you're being truly yes. persecuted, you can just show up. No appointment necessary and say, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in, I, my life is in danger and I need asylum. You, you, your case gets adjudicated, but that takes time. And, though, and so while you wait around, the Trump folks call that catch and release when it's really just you got to have your case adjudicated. Uh, but a lot of people are coming in for asylum and their lives and are really in danger. That can, be, that can be years, years. Correct. It can be. Although Biden's tried to accelerate that process, but it, it's still challenging to have the, the, the judges available to adjudicate the yeah. cases. Um, now, yeah. if you're coming because you want a job, it's not really being persecuted. Uh, and so there's there's an argument more from the right, than the left. But I do think it has credence that, you know what, asylum's being abused here. It's not meant for I just need work. It's meant for being persecuted. And a lot of people lose their asylum cases. Uh, so. Biden is trying to say, you know what, let's let's try to put a damper on the asylum uh, track and say, OK, you, you want to ask for asylum? Do it before you get here. We're going to put up some centers in other countries. We're going to make an app that you can apply for. But if you have a legal means to get you should here, maybe remain in Mexico. Right. Well, remain in Mexico, which is which was Trump's policy, was you have to sit in Mexico while your case gets adjudicated, which could be years. Biden thinks a little different where he was trying to say, yeah. if you have a way to get here legally through this app or through a humanitarian parole, and I can get to that, 
and you come here without taking those means, we're going to send you back. And then you go use those legal means. Uh, So that's sort of where he kind of was being right leaning and, and tighter. But at the same time, he was using this tool called humanitarian parole, which is an executive authority to say, uh, I'm going to suspend immigration law for you for a couple of years. Just that's not going to count for you. Yeah. Right? Like to being paroled from prison. You can be on parole. You can, you can walk around for a time. You eventually have to go back, but you can walk around for right now. Uh, and he did that for yeah. certain countries where the migration had really jacked up since the pandemic, Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, Venezuela. So he's, so he's opening the valve here and he's tightening it over here. So the right got mad on one thing, the left got mad on the other thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's being sued on both ends of that. So it yeah. may be after a few months that the court will say, you can't do this, but that's what he's, but the, the, the premise that Biden's yeah. working under is not that migration is inherently bad, but that it needs to be more orderly. Whereas the Trump argument is migration is bad. This is poison. You're a poison air country. We want you to not come here. So reconciling these viewpoints is very difficult. Uh, there's not a natural common ground there. Yeah. Uh, and so where you're getting this friction is how much humanitarian parole authority should Biden have? And chances are Biden's going to accept limitations on it because he's in such a political jam. He needs that Ukraine aid. He needs a more orderly border. He's getting hammered in the polls. And if he can get it, and to your initial point, yeah, there's people on the left that are going to be mad about it. And he's not going to get unanimous Democratic support. Yeah. But there are a lot of Democrats in the middle, uh, particularly people who are on the ballot, like John Tester and Sherrod Brown, who want this kind of deal uh, in Montana, Ohio, people who need to win re-election yes. most likely if the Democrats are going to keep the Senate. And a lot of other Democrats who sort of recognize you know what? I know this sucks, but uh, there's no there's no way out without putting a cap uh, on this situation. You know, the New York City mayor, the Chicago mayor. Uh, it's not just Republicans complaining. Yeah. You know, Massachusetts has right to shelter. They're very strained. There's a the, the, the problem is going to mean it's going to be a narrative so long as both Republicans and Democrats are publicly complaining. And so Biden's got to put a tourniquet on it. Has it surprised you to see some of the numbers on immigration, especially, or sorry, about migration and even deportations that now with independence has, has a favorable uh, rating in some of the polls that I've seen these issues, at least for most of my adult, I mean, even my, my (laughs) youth life following politics in like 1992 with Pat Buchanan, you know, this was looked at as a far right, uh, a racial fixation that now has fairly broad approval for for some kind of immediate action up to and including deportation. Well, because one, the strain is real. There, there are, and, and, and this is part of the perverse logic of what Texas Governor Greg Abbott has most has been the biggest driver of shipping people from the border into other cities mm-hmm. uh, and, and forcing the strain onto yeah. them. And look, it's it's legit uh, for. Uh, uh, Texas shouldn't have to shoulder the entire burden, but ideally you would you'd coordinate this in a way so you'd really spread yeah. the responsibility around and not just try to you know score political points by dumping people on the vice president's lawn in, in Washington, D.C. But the reality is that there is strain uh, in blue areas and red areas and purple areas like Arizona. Uh, so you hear it in the media more than, than usual. Uh, 
And what I just tried to explain to you took a long time to explain. <laughs> you can't easily explain the situation yeah. in 30 seconds. And so it's very hard for Biden to give a kind of speech like I just gave and try to put it in some kind of larger context. He's, so uh, you're going to have uh, higher disapproval numbers until there is an actual reduction of the flow and an actual ability for people in cities and states that are acutely affected to actually manage the initial intake. With all of that that you just said, and I do think that that was well articulated, that it is hard to to spell out all the details here. There are a lot of vectors. Nobody is saying that the border is a simple process. And yet you have seen this become a problem on Biden's watch. You have the person that was Mr. I'm strong on the border that will be running against him, his predecessor in Donald Trump. Is there a fear from the strategic wing of Biden 24 that they have to run against? Well, Trump was right on the border. Well, I don't think they have to say Trump was right. I mean, th- maybe they can do. A no, 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 more- but no they, they, have, they have to combat. They have to combat that. Yeah, they, I, mean, I, I think most importantly is just to actually reduce the flow. <laughs> Uh, So you're not having drip, drip, drip stories of coming out of New York and Chicago and Boston of Democrats actively complaining about the situation Uh, because that anytime it's dim on dim conflict, that's going to attract news. So you want to get that off the off the news. Uh, And so if that is if there is an actual deal and if it actually works, this is this is the hard thing. Like you could say, okay. We're going to clamp down humanitarian parole authority. You're not going to Biden can't just let a whole bunch of people in from these these countries. And I should also add one thing I left out before. One of the reasons why Biden's initial plan started to work and then kind of stopped working is that the the migrants are coming from farther and farther away. Now they're coming from from China and Africa. Uh, The the pandemic has ravaged the political economic situations in so many countries, and they're going to where the economy is actually good, which is America. Uh, If America had a terrible economy, there weren't jobs here, people wouldn't be coming. But it's it's, it's a testament to how Biden's managed the economy. Uh, So, uh, uh, but if you clamp down humanitarian parole, but people still come, and they and they come even more illegally than legally than what you yeah. what had surface uh, 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 broad appeal in Congress. If it doesn't work in practice, and the problem is still drip drip dripping on you, that that doesn't really help. Uh, so what's tough about this is actually coming up with a plan that's going to work uh, and actually manage the flow in an orderly yeah. way. So that that that's I think they can finally come up with some some sort of committee product that they can eke through Congress. But does it actually work in practice? That's 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 what's tough. Oh, well, we'll all find out together now, won't we? But 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 uh, uh, yes or no, you do believe that this that something will get through. I mean, I, I'm not going to like I'm not going to say go to Vegas and put money down on it. But uh, I, I think that there are enough pieces in place. There are enough factors. There are enough people in positions of power that want this deal to happen. Yeah. There are Democrats that want this deal to happen uh, for electoral reasons and for foreign policy reasons. There are Republicans that uh, actually are old school Reaganite conservatives that want to defeat Putin. Uh, uh, there are people like Kirsten Cinema. Yeah. I, I think Kirsten Cinema is in the middle of this, is waiting to announce her reelection campaign until she gets this deal done and say, look at me, I did, I did just one more deal. I just keep banging out deals. You need people like me who, who, exactly, who played yeah. up the middle. So there's lots Bipartisan of, with uh, results. 
Yeah. Right. There's lots of people that want this deal. And obviously people that don't. The Trumpers really don't want the Trump. I mean, people with the left are going to get mad at Biden about this. Trump is going to go ballistic if this deal gets done. And there's going to be. So I talked about pressure on Mike Johnson from the foreign policy types. He's going to get pressure from Trump, too. You know, you're you're backstabbing, but you're giving Biden a win here. Why are you doing that? Uh, so again, I'm not saying it's an easy calculation for anybody here, uh, but I do think, yeah, being told that like you will be good on history as the person who allowed Putin to take over the world—that's pretty heavy. It is. It is. But we know more about it now, thanks to our friend Bill Share, Washington Monthly, and so much more. Bill, where can people find you? Uh, I'm, a, I'm the public editor of the Washington Monthly, WashingtonMonthly.com. Uh, you can also find my work uh, uh, on social media, Bill Share at Twitter, Bill Share Media on Threads. And I had recently was in Politico. I'm still a contributing writer there. And my overview of the 2028 presidential election uh, a few weeks ago in Politico. I so love it. I love it. And you and you got that prime slot during the holidays where that story stayed a one for like 48 hours. It was well, amazing. I, 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 Every time I went I've to Politico, I just smiled. I've done that year end story for Politico for five years now. Uh, it's usually about you know looking as far ahead uh, as possible. That's kind of like. It's like Will, Will Smith used to own July 4th. You know, I, I, I own political like December 30th. Like that's that's my thing. That's it. That's it. You love to see it. You love to see it. All right. Thank you so much, Bill. My pleasure. Take care. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. I want to thank both of our guests today, not only Bill Share of Washington Monthly, but also Katie Stetch Ferrick of the Wall Street Journal. You guys know where to find Bill Share, but please go to px3guest.com and thank Katie Stetch Ferrick for coming on the show. Uh, she is, again, a, a great friend and an even better reporter. And she has been that for a very, very, very long time. Great to finally have her on this show. If you want to email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Twitter is px3tweets for all your social clips of this show. You want to share some of the, the, the stuff that happened. Go ahead on over to PX3 Tweets. And Justin R. Young is my personal Twitter account. Uh, you can find me live streaming on Twitch, px3live.com. I'll do my best to do some streaming during the time where I'm on the road in Iowa, New Hampshire, Las Vegas, South Carolina. If you want to share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. And folks, this is when you need to be proselytizing. This is when you need to be out there. This is harvest time. If you know anybody, anybody in your life that's into politics and and they have frustrating, uh, uh, you know, views because they're just locked into that partisan ecosystem. Now is when you tell them, folks, it doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to get gaslit by the turnout establishment. You can have all of your views and also be educated about what's actually happening. That's possible. It used to be the norm. It's not the norm anymore. 
It's left to weirdos in the woods like me to bring the daring concept that I don't need to be converting you into a voter to educate you. Odd, right? But a lot of people don't believe that that is open to them. It is up to you, the listeners and viewers of this show, to see if you can turn people on to this. We're on the road. We're demonstrating value. Send them to px3podcast.com. That is letter P, letter X, number three, podcast.com. If you would like to support me while I am on the road with a one-time donation, it is paypal.me slash payjury. That is P-A-Y-J-U-R-Y. Venmo is Justin-Young-20. Cash app is letter P, uh, yeah, uh, money sign, letter P, letter X, number three, cash. That's cash app. And then, of course, anything you'd like to send me in the mail, up to and including paper checks or just straight cash, homie. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is Post Office Box. 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we missed on our free podcasting schedule and our Titanic. $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the podcast like these smart people that are going to be a part of history because their name's read on the show. Alo, Yield Pinball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy, Mac, and Vogue Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Brian, Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Checkers. Sarah Jeannie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, his nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Aegis Arslanian, Berkeley Stephen, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Delightful Demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D-Laser, Nick Wood, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy Montana, The Gen D, really? Andrew, Gloria, my mom, Neemeister, Jay, and Devon, the CFP. Next time you hear me on this free feed, I'm in Iowa. This is a moment that I have no kidding been waiting for since I got taken off the road because of COVID in 2020. Four years in the making. Four years in the making. And now I get to do what I was born to do. Be out there for you. And I can't wait to do it. Because some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics and still more talk about politics. But this, my friends, this is the only one that dares discuss all three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.